This episode is powered by Tom DeLeo Day Financial Planning Services. On today's episode of Black Girls Getting Their Shift Together. I'll, I'll sum it up. I think hypermasculinity is one of the main causes of a lot of the stigmatization of mental illnesses. I think that hypermasculinity is what keeps a lot of black men and even some black women as well. And uh, it keeps them away from getting the treatment because nobody want to be weak. Everybody want to exude strength at all times. And the problem with that is that we as human, we're more comprehensive than strength. You know, we, we have a full range of emotions and we have to be okay with expressing those full ranges of emotions. We don't just experience anger and, and dominance all the time. You know, it's okay to feel weak at times because you feel it. You. This episode is sure to deliver stimulating conversations and aha moments that may give you a fresh perspective. If any moment made your soul vibrate, please leave us a review and let us know if we're on the right track. Also, we release episodes every Tuesday, so be sure to subscribe and visit BlackGirlsGettingTheirShiftTogether.com to access exclusive offers and coaching packages. The coaching packages include clarity calls, VIP one-on-one exclusive coaching, and my absolute favorite, the Tribe Vibes. A Tribe Vibe is a twist on Ladies' Night, focusing on self-care for Black women with a holistic approach. Welcome to Black Girls Getting Their Shift Together. I'm your host, Ursula, a transformation life coach and mental health and wellness advocate. This is a safe space for amazing Black women to share open, honest dialogue about mental health and wellness, self-care, self-love, and basically how to get our shift together. Let's tune in to this week's episode. For the queen, sisters manifesting their dreams. Hit your cream by any means and being with self esteem. Beauty supreme and booty walk so mean. The way you fit in them jeans, you eat your cornbread and greens. Dance or a doctor, red wine or vodka. Redesign your spot and redefine your mantra. Retwist your locks and realign your chakras. Doing your squats and getting closer to God, huh? Brunching with your squad or taking a girl's trip. Adjust your crown, you guys give to the world, sis. Celestial body, drink your water. Meditate, sun kiss goddess, heavenly order. Levitate, tribe of Ashanti, black girl magic, melanin popping, whether you ratchet or lavish, whether you bougie or savage, you a gift and a treasure. You got to love a black girl getting a shift together. Black girls are getting a shift together. These black girls getting a shift together, man. These black girls are getting a shift together. These black girls getting a shift together, dog. I'm going to add my guest on. His name is Aaron Snyder. Hey, how you doing? Hello, sir. How are you? I'm doing good. Oh, you're already getting some love. Um, I'll post it. Here we go. Greetings to the host and the panel. Hello, blind guy, his wife in their life. <laughs> All right, Aaron. 
Thank you for coming on today. I am so excited to have you on. How was your day today? My day was cool. I just went to work, you know, did the typical therapy thing, you know. I mean, it's never really typical, but, you know, <clears throat> it was my routine. I, I got that done for the day, and then I made some plans to arrange to be here. So greatly appreciative of that. So can you tell everyone? Oh, welcome to you, Aaron. Now you're getting some specific love. Can you see that? So, yeah, thank you. <laughs> All right. So can you tell everybody what kind of therapist you are and what made you want to become a therapist? Yes, I am a marriage and family therapist. And I work at a uh, a nonprofit right now as a uh, specifically a family therapist where I work with at youth at youth uh, children and their families. I go to their house houses. So what what that is called is a home based therapist. So in the position that I'm in now, most of my cases are court ordered, and I work with youth in the inner cities of Toledo, Ohio, at the moment. Uh, what, one, what got me into therapy really was not any like big reasons. You know, it was just more so that when I graduated from undergrad, I couldn't find a good job in psychology because psychology was the major that I got my uh, bachelor's in. Couldn't really find a good job. So I, somebody told me that in order to get a better job, you got to go back to school and get your master's. So you know, it's not a lot of masters in mental health. So naturally, the therapy was the one that I gravitated towards because I just realized that I had sort of a, a aptitude at talking to people. Right. So that was just the thing that reeled me in. And then, you know, from there, it was all she wrote. Wow. You know, that seems to be a recurring theme of the therapist that I've had on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they seem to hone it. And now they have their niche and you all of you all are thriving in it. That's so impressive. So everyone, when you watch this and also this is going to be turned into an audio podcast. Aaron has a book. I purchased it. It's called Black Mental Health Matters. And it's the ultimate guide for mental health awareness in the black community. And that's what was, oh, you got to love on that right there. Exactly. And the way he writes the book, it is so relatable. And once I read a few pages of it, well, let me be real. I followed him on Instagram a lot. And then when I saw that he had a book, I instantly purchased it and I read it at the pool. And it's a really easy read and it's so relatable you know a black author for the black community thank you yes you're welcome so what made you want to write the book well what made me want to write the book is because prior to the job that i'm working at now i worked at a uh, correctional facility a jail and my job was to screen people for mental illness when they come into the jail so screen the inmates And I would notice that a lot of the inmates were having mental health issues that they didn't really recognize as such. You know, like like I would hear people describe all the symptomology of depression or all the symptoms of anxiety or the PTSDs or even schizophrenia. And they had no clue that these were diagnosable mental illnesses. So to me, that that 
showed a problem. It highlighted that there was a problem within the community of people not really being aware of mental illnesses in the way that they should, especially these people who are cycling in and out of jail with issues that are surrounding those mental illnesses. So that gave me the idea to say, hey, I need to write a book that will you know, give people the knowledge and the tools that they need to get in order to not continue to be in and out of jail based on these uncomfortable feelings and, and, and maladaptive behaviors that, that, that keep landing them in and out of uh, incarceration. Yeah. So when you would talk to some of the inmates, did you find that some of them were opening up to you or was there always a wall? Because if they see a brother that looks like them, mm -hmm. I figured it would have been some kind of connection. Yeah, yeah, they, they were. And that, that that was the one of the main things, because this was prior to me really becoming a therapist, per se. Like I, at the time I was a counselor. So and there's a different distinction between being a counselor at a jail and actually being a marriage and family therapist. But it, either way, the people were very open to me and they were telling me a lot about their lives and stuff. And they did not really realize that they had mental illnesses. So I was thinking like, maybe these, this is the first time they've ever talked about any of these things, because how could they go so far in life without really hearing that they had these illnesses if they told somebody else this before, you know, because right. any professional will recognize that this is a mental illness if they were told this. So I, I doubt that they ever really opened up in that way to anybody and me being black and being relatable and, so on and so forth. I think that that gives a lot of people the confidence that they need to speak on their issues. Mm, wow. So you were always diagnosing them. Were some were some of the inmates open to what you were saying? Well, as far as their their diagnosis or your observations. Yes and no. Some of them were. You know, some of them were like, "Wow, I didn't know I had uh, ADHD," or "I didn't know I had." depression or whatever, but a lot of them were not, you know, like, oh, no, I, I ain't got no uh, anxiety issue. I'm not, I don't have PTSD because it's such a foreign concept to a lot of people, especially within the black community, because most people have never had any type of mental health treatment outside of something that may be punitive or corrective. You know what I mean? Like, like in, you know, well, granted we were in a jail, but still nobody, not a lot of people have any mental health experience outside of it being something negative, you know? Oh, uh, well, well, yeah, I never thought about it like that. Mm -hmm. So what are your thoughts on, cause I read in your book about the social and the self stigmas of mental health in our community. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, the social stigmas of mental illness is pretty much that, that I was just talking about is the, the idea that, having some sort of mental problem or mental issue is something that is to be shamed or is something that is to be embarrassed about because people don't really understand it. And right. if you don't have a lot of understanding about something, it's easy to 
deem it as something negative. You know, it's easy to not have a certain level of compassion. So that social stigma is huge in our community because most people, when they think of mental illness, they think of it as something negative because that's the only time they've ever experienced mental illness, whether it's in jail or you're getting sent to the office and now you got to see a therapist at school or, you know, marriage, uh, divorce court or something like that. You know, those are really the only times people have ever stood before a therapist. So it's almost that they lump it in the same category with seeing a judge or or, or seeing uh, a probation officer or something like that. So I just wanted to really be a part of the charge to change the narrative. Yes, we need more like you mm-hmm. and definitely platforms that you have. Like, I love your Instagram and everyone. I put Aaron's links in the show description notes. So you just visit his his um, Instagram. It, it's some fire on there. And it's it really makes me think a lot. And it's so relatable. So can you talk about the self stigma? Well, the self-stigma is birthed in the social stigma. Without the social stigma, there would be no self-stigma. Most people internalize the feelings from the community about mental illness, and they attribute those feelings to themselves. So, you know, if everybody telling you you crazy because you got PTSD, you know, it's not going to be hard to start to believe that if that's all you've ever heard, you know, or if everybody telling you that you should be ashamed to say you have some sort of mental illness, it's going to be real hard for you to get out there and say you got one and then try to get the help, you know. So that's what the self-stigma is, that a lot of times people just internalize these negative feelings that are perpetuated by society, mm-hmm. people who really don't know anything about mental illness. Mm. Did you ever find that any of the inmates wanted to continue to talk to you after the initial intake? All the time. You know, I was like the 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 main person people wanted to talk to because I was really the only black counselor. You know, I was the only one. And I realized that that was a need for the community when I kept getting all the feedback that I was getting, all the people that wanted to come and talk to me. Like sometimes people would talk to me for, you know, an hour, you know, and and it really was just supposed to be a quick assessment. But, you know, sometimes they would be giving me their whole life story and I could tell that this would be new to them. You know, this was an experience that they never had before, you know, and it's it's. It's very rewarding rewarding to know that you're helping somebody in the way that you are. Yes. Well, I'm going to read an excerpt from the book, which mm-hmm. I loved. You said that you will also, from this book, that you will also dispel some of the negative beliefs that surround mental health. And throughout this book, I use terms African-American, Black and Brown community lower socioeconomic status community and impoverished communities interchangeably. Can you explain that? Well, you know, I I didn't want to be repetitive and just say the same term over and over. So what I said is I'm going to use those terms interchangeably, but in no way does one necessarily equal another. Just because you're in a black community doesn't necessarily mean you're in an impoverished community. Mm -hmm. Or just because you are black and brown doesn't necessarily mean that you you necessarily identify as African-American. And that's just what I was trying to say is that I was going to make a distinction, but however, I was going to use those terms interchangeably. 
Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you also said this book's purpose is to educate those who are uneducated about mental health. And this was the key word and to enhance the knowledge of those who wish to learn more about psychological issues that are significant aspects of their lives. Overall, Black Mental Health Matters aims to enhance mental health awareness and literacy in Black and Brown communities, as well as in other underprivileged societies. Yeah. That's so dope. Yeah. Because, you know, what I was aiming for is, you know, we have a lot of movements in the Black community right now. You know, you got the social justice issues. You got the financial literacy. And mental health is no exception. So I wanted to increase people's overall understanding of mental health. Just like, you know, uh, you got the financial experts out here teaching people about stocks and, and real estate and whatnot. I want to be able to get to a point where we in the Black community, everybody knows what. Uh, PTSD is. Everybody knows schizophrenia when they see it. Everybody knows how to intervene during a suicidal crisis or so on and so forth. So I just wanted to increase our literacy, our baseline understanding of mental illnesses. Oh, the baseline. You know, (laughs) yeah, because you know what? I love that because I believe when you do have that baseline that Mm -hmm. you can respond like we just talked earlier before we went online you can learn to respond and not react and have a lot more grace with people because like that individual i told you about i already see before i called him back he was all he had it all over his face and i just happened to be the next person and he went in on you know, yeah, it was like you knew there was something else going on. I'm not saying mental mm-hmm. issues, but even just the the mood itself. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's a lot. So, do you mind if I go through a couple of the sections or the yeah. chapters? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, let's get into it. Now, everyone who's listening, and oh yeah, if you he- listen on the replay, make sure and type replay. He's only going to give snippets. You're going to have to go to the website and purchase the book. So he's not giving you all, but just just enough to with that palette. Yeah, yeah. All right, here we go. So your section one, and we already went over this, but what is mental health and why does it matter? And the myths about mental illness and mental health treatment. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on that? Well, um, the myths about mental health treatment often are what keeps people further away from getting the help that they need when it comes to mental health. You know, a lot of times it's our lack of understanding that pushes people further away from help than lack of access to said help. You know what I mean? Like a lot of times it's the, 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 I don't want to say culture, but it, it's the the understanding we as a people or a cultural group have about mental illness that pushes people away from going and seeking the help that they need or, or even knowing about the help in, in the first place. Yeah, that's so true. What are your thoughts about people wanting to pray it away and rather go to 
a church leader as opposed to a trained professional. Mm-hmm. I think that that goes back to culture as well. And it's not just exclusive to black culture. A lot of cultures think in that way. However, I think that that ideal is birthed in in another idea that mental illness is not something that's serious. You know, it's they people believe that is a character flaw of sorts, you know, rather than something that's physically imbalanced and within somebody they think that it's something that's intrinsic to the person rather than something that is you know biological or environmental Mm. so if someone was to ask you about that how would you break what you just said how would you break that down into layman's terms so Mm -hmm. it can be relatable to them okay well what i would say is a lot of times people have mental illnesses and those mental illnesses say nothing about who you are as a person. Those mental illnesses are similar to physical illnesses in the sense of sometimes just your genetic makeup contributes to mental illnesses just as much as your environment may commit, uh, com- contribute to those things. So just because you have anxiety, I mean, anxiety doesn't make you a bad person. No more than having asthma would make you a bad person. Mm. You know, and it, it, just because you may have diabetes doesn't always mean that it's a lifestyle choice that gave you that illness. No more than a, a lifestyle choice would give you depression. You know, these things are things that are deeply rooted in our genetic makeup a lot of the time, but people don't really realize that because we don't have that baseline understanding of mental illness. It seems like we have a baseline of covering it up and ignoring, at least from my experience. I can't speak on everyone, but mm-hmm. I that's how I feel on that. I agree, because you, you taught that it's something to be ashamed about, you know? So, yeah. I mean, of course, if you if everybody tells you you should be ashamed about it, of course you're going to cover it up. Absolutely. And also... um You're right, because if you have diabetes or asthma, you wouldn't be embarrassed to tell anybody about that. Mm -mm. You know, I go to the gym a lot. We see people pulling out inhalers all the time. Exactly. It's normalized. But when it comes to that mental illness, it's just been a culture of of stigmas that just has contributed to people being ashamed of it, you know, and it's really the same, you know, it's no different than having a physical illness, but for some reason, you know, over time people have taught that it's something wrong with it. Mm. What about our other counterparts? Do you feel like they have as much of a stigma as the black community has it? Um, I don't feel like they have as much of a stigma, but it's a stigma amongst other races, too. But I think that other races have been a little further ahead of of us in terms of acknowledging and accepting mental illness. And we're just now getting as a culture to that point. Right. I would agree with that, Mm -hmm. especially looking at all my social media I follow a lot of therapists and coaches mm-hmm. and the momentum oh, yeah. I feel is gaining. And I'm actually for the first time feeling encouraged about mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And it feels good. It does. You know, we're such a strong people. Like this is just the extra added power, yep. uh, extra bar to our power pack. Right. <laughs> That's facts. 
Yeah. Okay. You know what? Before we go on, so what is what are your thoughts on generational trauma in our community? Mm-hmm. I think that generational trauma is such a deeply rooted issue. You know, Gen- the generational trauma is really deep in our roots as Black people, you know, and a lot of it flies beneath our level of consciousness. Like we've, as a group of people, experienced so much trauma physically and mentally that, you know, it, it it's it, it's encoded in our DNA, you know, from slavery to Jim Crow to mass incarceration, crack epidemics, all the oppression and inequalities in our community, not to mention the mental damage that these things have done to us. So I think generationally, we got to do a lot of unpacking when it comes to these mental health issues. And it starts with having culturally competent clinicians in place like Mm -hmm. myself, like other therapists. And you don't necessarily have to be a black therapist. You just got to understand what's going on. And that's kind of hard to find. And that's the battle that we are in right now. That's the fight that we're trying to win right now is to get more people who understand what's going on with boots on the ground so that we can start healing some of these people because it's a lot of work to be done. It really is. But, you know, I tend to agree. These are my thoughts. I have to be careful with my words. Right. <laughs> okay, let me keep it real. Okay. My, my therapist looks like me. Okay. Okay. And I've had one that doesn't look like me. And it's mm. it is different. Yeah. It is no different than as you see, I have locks. <laughs> Bless you. I have locks and I'm not going to get the same hairstyle, but this, that's just my experience. Mm -hmm. But you know, it's just the relatability. Well, let me tell you why I said that they don't necessarily have to be black because of course you are going to probably have a lot in common with a black therapist. That's a given, right? Yeah. But does it necessarily mean that because somebody is black, they understand what's going on in the community. You know, it's a lot of skin folk that ain't kin folk, right? Ooh, Ooh. say that again. I like that. A lot of skin folk that ain't kin folk. But, you know, at the same time, it's some down white brothers and sisters, too. But generally speaking, somebody that comes from the same race as you does have a lot of cultural understanding, you know, a lot of cultural competency. So, yes, having a therapist that looks like you is definitely something that is a plus is an asset because then they don't have to learn they don't have to go through no textbook they don't have to do none of that in most cases they just be already understanding what's going on if you say you tight about something they know what you're talking about you know what i'm saying exactly (laughs) let me tell you this funny story so I also have, I go to a group therapy that there's two therapists in the group that they perform and I, whatever the topic is, I'm not going to say, but whatever it was and the reaction from all the sisters was, mm-hmm, <laughs> girl, and it's so funny. There was nothing but eye contact and the girl, and we had a whole conversation through our girl and through our eye contact. It was mm-hmm. so funny. And I remember thinking we can do that with each other because mm-hmm. we get it. Yeah. We get it. Yeah. But, you know, I've experienced secondary gaslighting. Mm. Yeah. And 
I didn't know that that's what it was. Mm-hmm. And I was like, ah, let's start over. But I'm glad I did. You know, mm-hmm. I kept going until I found the right fit, just like a good uh, pair of shoes that fit excellent. Yeah. 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 Um, I'd love to post this. If you can give me your commentary okay. from Blind Guy, his wife and their life. Lakita says the way we can inherit and pass on things in our DNA makes sense that we may pass on mental things too. That's facts. That 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 that's it right there. That's exactly what it is. You know, the, our mental uh, illnesses in a lot of cases are passed down generationally, and you know, us being black people having to deal with all the different atrocities that we've dealt with generationally. Just imagine what's being passed down, you know, somewhere down the line, you got a a great, great grandfather who might've been a slave that experienced PTSD. That PTSD doesn't go, just go away when he has kids, that gen, that uh, genetic is passed down to the next generation. Yes. And so on and so forth. So all the trials and tribulations of black people don't just go away. That just becomes encoded in our DNA. And if we never really had any healing done, you know, it doesn't that matter. Part. You know? Yeah. That part. And I was just going to say that we've never healed from it. Mm-hmm. We we may think we have, but we yeah. haven't. Yeah. What we is haven't. it? Epige- epigenetics is real. Yes. Yes. Ooh. Okay, section, another section, issues that increase the risk of developing a mental health disorder. And you have different examples such as, which we talked about, race, substance abuse, suicide, marital and family problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, those issues are what we call risk factors. And, you know, anybody can have risk factors. Anybody can have uh issues that contribute to their mental illnesses. But as black people, we tend to come from marginalized communities that have a, a, a uh, hiding heightened risk of those things occurring. You know, poverty is rampant in the inner cities of America, which so happen to be occupied by black people. Uh, substance abuse and poverty go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Substance abuse and uh Violence go hand in hand and all those things are risk factors and all those things are things that are extraordinarily common in our community. So naturally, we as black people have a heightened risk of mental illness, but a lot of people don't know it and we don't have a heightened level of awareness. So those two things going together is a very dangerous combination. Hmm. This I found extremely interesting. You also put social media in that. Yes. Can yeah. you do a, a not too much of a deep dive because we want people to get the book, but right. dig into that. That made my eyebrows raise. Well, you know, social media right now, and real. I mean, you know, social media wasn't always what it is today. Mm-hmm. But social media causes a lot of people to question themselves and, and think of themselves as inadequate. Like in what kind of way? 
Like, like if you see uh, a sister on there with a big old booty and Chad just poking out, and she got a thousand likes on every picture, you and you don't got those same things. You start to look at yourself different. You start to be like, oh man, I ain't, I must not look good or whatever, you know, right? right. And, and a lot of times, what people don't realize is that is a a uh, false reality that we're looking at. We're only looking at what they're allowing us to see. You know, when they showing their new car and they, they trip mm-hmm. to the Bahamas and all, we don't really realize that that isn't what their life is in its totality and it may not even be what it, their life is at all. They may just be showing us what they want us to think. You know what I mean? And as people, we have to be aware of that and not internalize what we're seeing and comparing it with our real life. And a lot of times people do that. They compare a highlight reel of somebody else's life to their real life flaws and all. And then they wonder why they feel upset. Right. That uh, even like the Instagram relationships. Mm-hmm. Especially those, you know, <laughs> nobody is perfect. Nobody is just having that type of relationship in real life. But a lot of people don't understand that. So when they see it, they wonder why they don't have it. And then they think less of themselves. Relationship goals. Yeah, there's no such thing as relationship goals. That That's a uh, that that is a false sense of reality like nobody is relationship goals you got to do what's best for you you got to do what works for you and no relationship is perfect everybody has their ups and downs mm-hmm. what are your thoughts on the hyper masculinity mm, you know, i got a lot of thoughts on hyper masculinity but you know I'll, I'll sum it up i think hyper masculinity is one of the main causes of a lot of the stigmatization of mental illnesses. I think that hypermasculinity is what keeps a lot of black men and even some black women as well in uh, it keeps them away from getting the treatment because nobody want to be weak. Everybody want to exude strength at all times. And the problem with that is that we as human, we're more comprehensive than strength. You know, we we have a full range of emotions and we have to be okay with expressing those full ranges of emotions. We don't just experience anger and and dominance all the time. You know, it's okay to feel weak at times because you feel it. You can't deny it and think that it's just going to go away. And that's hypermasculinity. Well, can you define if some people, some of the listeners don't understand what your definition of the hypermasculinity is? Well, hypermasculinity is just the idea that somebody needs to assert emotions that project strength. So, hypermasculinity would, in you know, in a, a layman's terms or whatever, would be somebody that's always upset all the time, right? And they're upset because they don't really want to acknowledge their other emotions. Like anger is what they call a secondary emotion. Mm -hmm. Anger is that emotion that you show when you are afraid to show your true emotions. Like we we replace anger with every emotion. Like you, if you, you embarrassed about something, you typically don't say you embarrassed, you get upset. Right. If you're sad about something, you typically don't say, hey, man, I'm sad about that. You get upset, right? So with the secondary 
emotion be like a cover story? Yes, that's exactly what it is. It's something to cover up that vulnerable that vulnerable feeling. Okay, there's the light bulb right there. Yeah. There it is. It was coming. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah, a secondary emotion is just the emotion that you use to avoid being vulnerable. And anger is the easiest emotion to show. It doesn't take a lot of vulnerability to be angry. But it does take a lot of vulnerability to be embarrassed or to be ashamed or to be sad or even to be happy. It takes a lot of vulnerability to do those things. And that's what hypermasculinity is. It's a fear of vulnerability. Wow. I love that definition. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's go to another section. And also if anyone, you know, I'm going to drop the link. If anyone wants to come on and respectfully ask Aaron a question, I'd love for you to come on. Let me just post that right now. And then we'll go into the next. Somebody else made a comment. We'll go into that as well. All right. I just dropped the link if anyone would love to come on. So here is uh, Kita. Thank you so much for your your comments. They're always so insightful, sis. Mm -hmm. She said social media is influential regardless of what we tell ourselves. Thank you for saying relationships goals is Babble relationships are work. Mm-hmm. That's facts. And she would know because she's been married, I want to say 25 years oh, to yeah. her husband. As a matter of fact, um, everyone listening, you can go to their website. It's Blind Guy, his wife, and uh, not their website, but their YouTube channel, mm-hmm. Blind Guy. He's really a blind man, and his wife is Lakita and their life. And there's I listen to them when I'm at work mm-hmm. on my lunch break. And it's literally, literally like a talk show. I think <laughs> it's so cool. Mm-hmm. And again, so relatable. But Kita, thank you so much for your comment. All right. So Aaron, we're going to start kind of wrapping it up. What are some common diagnosable mental illnesses? Um. You know, everybody's heard of depression, which is called major depressive disorder. Mm-hmm. Then you have anxiety, which is generalized anxiety. That's the technical name for it. And you have what they call social anxiety, which is a strand of anxiety, which is basically a fear of judgment or criticism. Then you have post-traumatic stress disorder, which is a mental illness that you get after you experience some sort of traumatic situation. Maybe it might be a car accident. Maybe it might be witnessing murder. Maybe it might be somebody raping you or something along those lines. That's something traumatic happening. So then you have schizophrenia, which is, you know, I don't want to be stereotypical, but usually when you see like homeless people and they be out talking to themselves and yelling, Mm -hmm. they have like, be dressed very odd. That's somebody that's usually schizophrenic. Then you have uh, you have OCD, which is you know preoccupied. Which is when somebody is preoccupied with an obsession, you know, or a compulsion. Which a compulsion is basically what you do to mitigate the accept the uh, obsession that you may have. It's it's a lot of commonly diagnosed mental illnesses, bipolar disorder, which is uh, depression and another 
disorder, mania, when they're joined together, it's called bipolar disorder because there's two disorders in one. And mm. it's ADHD, which is a lack of concentration or hyperactivity. Doesn't uh are those triggered? Not all of them, but I'm thinking the the OCD, mm-hmm. the ADHD. Is that triggered by anxiety? It can be. It can be, but a lot of times OCD or ADHD or whatever disorder isn't necessarily always triggered by something. Like we were talking about earlier, a lot of times it's in your DNA. You know, you get that passed down generationally in a lot of cases, you know, and maybe somewhere along the lines, it probably would trigger by something. But for you, three, four, five, ten generations later, it's really just something that got passed down to you and you got to deal with it. So you, I'm glad you said that. I would definitely want your thoughts on this. I read this article where it says when people start to do the work, Mm-hmm. And really work on themselves, not just the surface, but doing some shadow work, some serious peeling back the layers that it takes about three generations for it to manifest as a healthy mental matters. Mm. Does that sound what do you, you on that? What, what do you mean? Like, I want to be clear on what, what you're asking me. So, OK, myself. Uh-huh. I started therapy. I've I've done the work. I'm continuing. The work doesn't stop, mm-hmm. right? And I have my child, so I have better communication skills. I have better, uh, or I have higher emotional intelligence. Like yeah, all of that. So then my child learns it. It may be a little sketchy, but they're <laughs> getting it, and then their child can improve on my child, and so forth and so forth through the generations. Mm-hmm. Like it's almost diluting the trauma. Yes, absolutely. You know, that that's 100% correct. But, you know, the good thing about doing the work is that we can end it right now. You don't have to wait three or four generations to dilute it. You can end it right now. Yes, so, sir. Know, that's one of the beauty, the beautiful things about uh, getting the help that you need is because you can solve that problem right now. And yes, it will trickle down the generations, but it could also, we can end it right here and now if you do what you need to do. I love that. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. I didn't understand this. The, um, the antisocial personality disorder and conduct disorder. Yes. And those, dis- that. those disorders are, have you ever heard of somebody who's a sociopath? I have, but I never understood exactly. Okay, well, basically what antisocial disorder and conduct disorder are, you know, to simplify it, is people who don't have a conscience. They don't feel any remorse about causing harm to people. And that is a very common thing in our community when it comes to like, quote unquote, gangsters and people that do harm to other people. A lot of those people are suffering from antisocial personality disorder. Now, not all of them. It's a lot of people that be out here in the streets doing stuff and they really do feel remorse about things that they do. But somebody who actually has antisocial disorder 
they are incapable of feeling regret or remorse about doing harm to other people. And it ain't necessarily always trickle down to the crime. Sometimes people just have antisocial disorder and they just do really messed up stuff to their family and their friends. And it don't necessarily always have to be a criminal element to it. But 95% of criminal offenders have that diagnosis. Ooh, what about men? And that is, this isn't male bashing by any means, mm-hmm. but what about men who have multiple children from different women without any regard and just continue to have, don't you think that has to have? It can be, but antisocial disorder and conduct disorder are more so along the lines of depriving people of their human rights. Like, Everybody that does messed up things doesn't necessarily isn't necessarily attributing to it isn't necessarily attributed to antisocial disorder. Antisocial disorder is more so on the line, lines of doing something that is depriving somebody of their God given rights, like stealing from somebody, or uh-huh. you know, or uh, manipulating somebody into doing something for them, or, or you know, like stuff like that, where. Most people will be like, man, that was messed up that I did that. Whereas having a lot of kids, although it can be messed up, it's not necessarily along the same lines. Right. Okay. Uh, Let's see. I think that's the end of the notes I had for the book. Everyone else, if you want to know more, again, you're going to have to purchase the book. (laughs) So if you all didn't see the book, I'm going to show you what the cover looks like. Oh, here it is. Right there. Let me make that a little bigger. There we are. Yeah. And I like that cover too, by the way. I appreciate that. It was the Afro for me. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I had to put a queen on there. I, yes. What better hairstyle to put on there than an Afro? I love it. Love it. Love it. All right, we're, you know, before we wrap it up, anytime I do a podcast, I love to be solution based. Mm-hmm. So, if anybody, you know, if you're feeling triggered in a great way to want to take the next step, and as a matter of fact, Aaron, what could someone do if they wanted to take the first step to getting their Black mental health matters in order? Um, I think the first step that they should do is to research some mental uh, health therapists in their area and and just go and call them. You know, don't you don't have to commit to going. Just go and call them and talk to them and see what what it's about. And then when you go, go with an open mind. Understand that every therapist ain't going to be the therapist for you. You're going to have to shop around a little bit until you find the right one. Hopefully you don't. But you might, you know, you might have to go and go to two or three therapists and find one that clicks with you, because this is kind of touching on what I was saying earlier. Just because somebody a black therapist don't necessarily mean that they're going to click with you. You got to find the right black therapist. And then, you know, the magic is starting to happen. Don't just count yourself out. Don't just count therapy. I just because it didn't work on that first try. Keep going because I trust me, it will work. You will find the right clinician. You just got to put in some legwork. So what would you say? I heard what you just said, but what would you say if someone's so adamant? Because I've heard this a lot. I'm not going to therapy. It doesn't work. Mm. It didn't work for me. Mm-hmm. 
I, like I was saying, you got to shop around. Like, I don't know if you're familiar with boxing, right? But they say style makes fights. And what that means is that, you know, it depends on the style of the fighter sitting across from you that determines the outcome of the match. And that's the same thing when it comes mm. to therapy. It depends on that therapist's style. It depends on your expectations going into treatment. It depends on that person's experience. There's so many variables that determine whether or not therapy works. So you really have to do your due diligence to find a therapist that's going to give you what you're looking for. And that, a lot of times that just starts off with a conversation. You got to really put yourself through the fire in order to know what is and isn't going to work. Right. I love how you ended the book. Mm-hmm. Literally the last page you titled it, do what works. Yeah. And you said when it comes to mental health, there are no magical solutions. What works for your friends or family may not work for you and vice versa. Some people rave about therapy and others cringe at the thought of it. But some people find medications to be helpful. What are your thoughts on medications, by the way? I think that they serve a purpose. You know, I don't think that medications are the end all be all of mental health treatment. But I think a lot of times because of stigma, people are not willing to take medicines. And those medicines, a lot of times, are the difference between wellness and illness for a lot of people. And, and, you know, if a doctor, a trained professional is telling you that you need to take it, I would at least consider it. I'm not saying you just got to accept that as the gospel, but I would at least consider it, especially seeing the certain, if you have certain issues that that medicine is made to address. And medicine is not a long-term. Not all the time. No sentence. Exactly. Okay. And, um, The moral of the story is that you cannot base what works on anything but your own personal experience. That's facts. That's the end all be all right there. You know, you have to go off of what works for you and what worked for me may not work for you. Therapy doesn't work for everybody, but it works for a lot of people. And you got to really just see, you know, medicine doesn't work for everybody, but it does work for some. You know, you just got to see what works for you and do that. But if you don't even try, you won't know what's going to work. Right, right. Um, oh, how about someone just downloaded just downloaded your book? Oh, now, cool. yeah, I appreciate that. See, that's what it's about. Yes, it's past bro. that baton. That mm-hmm. I, I literally have chills. Kita, you are going to enjoy the book. It is an easy read and. Anybody who follows my social media knows I go to the pool a lot. And this has been my go-to so far for the summer. This in my journal, which I'm not going to open my journal on this. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Celeste. Celeste is another therapist who I absolutely adore. Celeste, the therapist, she said, yes, it's like shopping for new shoes. Mm. Every style and type of shoe won't fit on the first try. That's facts. That is facts. Yeah. And when you put that shoe on, it may fit, but you got to break it in. Mm -hmm. Come on. There you go. There you go. That was a perfect analogy right there. You know, sometimes it just takes a little time to get used to certain things. Yeah. You know, I got these busted up flip flops right here. I'm looking at (laughs) (laughs) now they've turned into my 
uh, shoes when I used to play kickball. Mm -hmm. Sterilize them, not in my house shoes. Yeah, once you break them in, you love them. On the park. (laughs) 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 All right. Okay, I'm going to put up another banner and then we really are going to close it off. Uh, Let's see. Can you see that? Yeah, I can see it. Graphic. Yep. All right. Things I stopped doing to gain peace in my life. And I picked this because I realized when I was going through therapy (laughs) that I experienced a lot of this on the other side. Me being a a reformed people pleaser and extreme reactionary individual Mm -hmm. and a fixer upper. Mm. So getting my mental matters together, I found that this was very solution based, which is why I picked it. So I'm going to start with number one, the arguing with people. What are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, arguing with people is never really a positive uh, result when you do that. You know, a lot of times you argue with people who are committed to misunderstanding you, and then you wonder why you don't really have any solution. It's, it's, it's a lot of times arguments are really a useless social dynamic. So a lot of times that contributes to more problems than it does good. But for some reason, we feel like it's a necessary evil. And then really isn't in a lot of cases. Mm. Also, anyone, when you're listening to this this list that we're going, if anything resonates with you, you know me, put up those light bulb emojis in the comment section and let, let us know, you know, give Aaron some love. And, you know, this is his graphic that I got off of his Instagram. So he can explain it better than I can. What about wasting energy on one-sided relationships? Yeah, you know, that's kind of like the going along the line with the people pleasing, you know. Yeah. It's a waste of energy to deal with people who only want you to benefit them and they're not really bringing much benefit to your life. It a, it a, a lot of times will make you feel less of yourself. You know, you will start to think about yourself as not worthy because your your whole relationship with somebody is only in service to them. You know, and that's never really a good thing. Mm, I think it was one of your posts when you were talking about toxic relationships and, Mm -hmm. you know, a person is so into loving or that trauma love into their individual, their, their partner. Yeah. And he's loving on himself, but who's loving on you? Yeah. Yeah. Come on. All right. Um, mm, this resonates with me over committing my time when I didn't have the energy. That's mm-hmm. that people pleasing right yeah, there. It sure is. Ugh. It sure is. You know, you, sometimes we just got to be comfortable with upsetting people. You know, sometimes doing what's best for you isn't always going to be a popular option amongst other people. And, you know, it, it's hard to really let that thought sit well with you. But once you do, you start to feel better about yourself. You know, you start to really, you you start to really respect yourself more. You start to respect yeah. your more in your life more. And you just feel better because you start to stand up to people and, and 
respect yourself. You know, you start to give mm. yourself what you need rather than always pouring into other people. That's right. Mm. Oh, that's a word right there. That mm. sounds like firm bound, holding firm boundaries. Yes, that's exactly what it is. Oh, all right. A few more. Let's see. How did it feel when you started putting your firm boundaries? What was that initial? Um, you know, it feels good, you know, because uh, a lot of times, you know, we have a mistaken belief that boundaries make us a bad person. Boundaries mean that we don't care about somebody. But when you don't have boundaries, you essentially are not caring for yourself. You know, so right. you got to care for yourself just as much as you would care for anybody else, if not more, because if you don't do who's going to do it? You know what I mean? So to me, it, it felt great to be able to show myself some love and appreciation. And that's mm. all boundaries is, is showing yourself respect. That's, ooh, better say it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Now, this is an ext- Anyone who knows me knows allowing dysfunctional family members to steal my God damn joy. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, you know, that speaks for itself. You know, a lot of times it'd be family members that steal your joy, you know, and, and you have such a loyalty to these people that you never really put them in a place because you feel like doing so is disloyalty and they make you feel that way. But Yes. You know, steal your joy just because they're your family members. Because if they trying to steal your joy, then they don't care about your joy. And you gotta you gotta care about it if if anybody gonna care about it. You better preach, Aaron Snyder. <laughs> you better say it. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh let's wrap it up with pretending to be happy when I'm hurting. Mm. Yeah, that's a tough one right there. You know, and I think a lot of people do that, you know, and I think it comes down to just having this this distorted belief of having to have it all together. You know, everybody, yeah. people always think you got to have everything in life together. But, you know, that, that's such a, a unrealistic expectation and, and, it, and it holds a lot of people down. You know, it's OK to not have it all together. You don't have to pretend that you have it all together because in doing so, you make yourself feel a lot worse nobody has it all together. Life is not meant to be all together. There's ups and there's downs, there's peaks and there's valleys. And when you understand that, you give yourself permission to feel your emotions as they come. Rather than thinking you just got to be strong at all times. That strong Black woman. Mm -hmm. And it's not not possible, you know, to be that all the time. No, no. And the perfectionism that comes with it. That's a lot of pressure. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. A lot of pressure. Unnecessary amounts. Exactly. All right. So what I've taken away from you is to uh, have an open mind when it comes to your your Black mental health matters. Mm -hmm. Yeah, have an open mind. Show grace. And when you do the work, you can recognize that sometimes in people, you can become a lot more responsive and not reactive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that some of this could be potentially genetics Mm -hmm. and that we do not have to wait 
for generations to fix it. We can fix it yesterday. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Aaron, any parting words you like to leave the good people, the listeners? Yeah. Um, you know, I just want to leave everybody with do what is necessary to resolve your mental or emotional issues. You know, nobody can do it for you. And things certainly aren't going to just come together without any effort. Like mental wellness is something that comes from constant effort every day over time. If you can't do it all in one day, just do a little bit in one day, lay one brick, you know, and and over time, those bricks that you lay each day will build up into a wall and that wall will be your emotional and mental wellness. So just do what you can do over time. You know, don't think that you got to do it all in one day. Don't think you got to recover in one day. Just do something and do it as soon as possible because your mental health is the foundation of a great life. And if you don't want to get, if you don't get that in order, then nothing will ever really be in order. That is so true. One last question. How did you feel when you had your first sale of the book? What did that feel like? I felt gratified. Like, I, you know, I was surprised for real. Like, you know, I didn't expect so many people to, uh, you know, respond well and buy the book. You know what I'm saying? I, I just thought a little old me, you know, this yeah. book ain't going to really do too much. And, then, and, you know, I really didn't even think about that when I was writing the book, you know, but it felt really good to know that people was out here wanting to read it, you know, something that I put a lot of time and effort into. Yeah. You know, we appreciate you mm-hmm. for real. It's so needed. Oh my God. You're amazing. I knew this was going to be good. This, I'll admit this. I was selfish with this podcast. I remember thinking I'm going to ask him. I don't care what anybody, how they feel about this is one of my favorite people. I like to follow on Instagram. So this was more for me. <laughs> you know, anytime, anytime you want me to come, I'll come. You know. Feel honored. All I have to do is go through your Instagram and we can talk about some of these amazing posts you put. You know, I'm gonna hold you to that now. Oh, yeah, I know, I know, I mean it. Trust me, yeah. Oh, thank you so much. My selfishness paid off. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for watching Black Girls Getting Their Shift Together. I appreciate everyone's support. And as you know, it was the one year anniversary. Mm. I can't believe I've done it. Uh, But, you know, I'm going to keep pushing forward and make sure and visit my website, Black Girls Getting Their Shift Together. Download the audio podcast. Leave a review. And more importantly, visit Aaron's, um, his link that I put in the description box and buy the book. Good night, everyone. Have a good evening. For the queen, sisters manifesting their dreams. Hit your cream by any means and being with self-esteem. Beauty supreme and Buddha walk so mean. The way you fit in them jeans, you eat your cornbread and greens. Dance or a doctor, red wine or vodka. Redesign your spot and redefine your mantra. Retwist your locks and realign your chakras. Doing your squats and getting close to God, huh? Crunching with your squad or taking a girl's trip. Adjust your crown, you guys give to the world, sis. Celestial body, drink your water. Meditate, sun kiss goddess, heavenly water. Levitate.
great tribe of Ashanti, black girl magic, melanin popping, whether you ratchet or lavish, whether you bougie or savage, you a gift and a treasure, you got to love a black girl getting a shift together, black girls are getting a shift together, these black girls getting a shift together, man, these black girls are getting a shift together, these black girls getting a shift together, dog. joining me on this episode of Black Girls Getting Their Shift Together. If anything you heard today made your soul vibrate, please like, comment, and share this episode with two of your friends. Thank you and I love you all. Twenty twenty has proved that we must be prepared for the unexpected, which is why you should contact an Edward Jones financial advisor like Tom DeLeo Day. Contact him at 770-466-0031 to schedule an appointment. Tell him Black Girls Getting Their Shift Together sent you.